I think my first space memory was in first grade. Chris Zembrowski. It was 1986. I remember they rolled in, you know, the TV cart, which, you know, as a kid my age, uh, you're rolling in a TV cart with the VCR attached, like, oh, man, it's going to be an awesome class day. Everybody was so excited to see the first teacher in space and watch Krista McAuliffe go up. This is the story of a high school teacher from New Hampshire who was chosen to be the very first private citizen in history to fly in space. This documentary was made in the lead up to the mission. Krista McAuliffe became a celebrity. This was meant to be the moment that signaled space was open to everyday, ordinary people who had the big dream to fly. This is also the story of thousands of America's children, children who already realize that their future is bound up with the future of space exploration. Space enthusiasm on the national level was waning by that point. And so school kids were actually a huge part of the audience for this mid-morning launch. We have main engine start, four, three, two, one, and liftoff, liftoff of the 25th space shuttle mission, and it has cleared the tower. But 73 seconds after launch, the Challenger broke apart. Obviously a major malfunction. I looked at the picture, and it was a moment completely frozen in time. Dan Molina was covering the launch for NBC. One of those rare things that happens very seldom in your life when the world stops and and you know what the reality is but cannot face it. From the Cape. Let's go now to the uh, Houston uh, Space Center, the Johnson Space Center in Houston and uh, correspondent Dan Molina. Dan, what information do you have? What can you tell us there? John, an absolutely numbing sight. It's very difficult to express anything at this point other than the information that we're getting from from NASA. The The Challenger disaster and its fallout revealed major problems with management inside of NASA and contributed to the rise of private companies like SpaceX. Today, that rhetoric from the 1980s about regular people going to space is back again in how we talk about Inspiration4. Those parallels, at least subconsciously, seem to be on the minds of the crew members about to fly with this mission. Cyan Proctor brought it up. I was 15 years old and I watched it live. Because I was so young and and had that experience um, and, and felt that amazing, like, crushing loss, uh, uh, it will always be a part of me. Some people even bring up Challenger when they find out Inspiration4 will have an all-civilian crew. Jared Isaacman, Inspiration Force Commander. It's like there's just some some angry people in the world that just make some very uninformed and uneducated statements about, you know, well, last time we tried this, it didn't work out too well with reference to the Challenger. There were plenty of people on that spacecraft that were test pilots and military background that also died. I mean, you know, you could have some of the most famous accomplished astronauts in the world, and they would have suffered the, the same fate on that. And the families of the crew also brought it up. I can't let my anxiety as a mother prevent her from living her best life. Haley Arsenault's mom, Colleen. I was young when the Challenger exploded. I don't think about the launch because when I do, I think about Krista McAuliffe's parents. The image of them 
that was on every news show, their faces right after. I do have a lot of faith in the engineers and the technicians and the brilliant people who have gone and, and, and made these technologies possible. And even 35 years later, experts in the space industry still have Challenger on their minds. Like Wayne Hale, he worked at NASA during the Challenger disaster. One of the things I don't think happened in the early days of NASA spaceflight is there wasn't enough attention paid to the families of the crew members and explaining it to them. And, and I, I, if, if, if you were going to sign up to go on one of these missions, you need to be prepared to sit down and have some hard discussions with the significant others in your life and explain to them why, if things don't turn out well, it was still worth the risk. And if you're not capable or willing to have that kind of discussion, you shouldn't go, period. Risk is baked into the private spaceflight industry. And spacecraft aren't regulated for the safety of, as the FAA calls them, spaceflight participants. Companies like SpaceX have to inform people flying with them of the risks. But those individuals ultimately assume that risk. If Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and others want to bring about a future for humanity in space, realistically, some of the people who will be sent out to build that future will not survive to see it. I'll be very blunt. Uh, people are going to die, okay? And if you don't think that can happen, then you don't understand with the nature of the business. SpaceX worries about risk, too. Benji Reed, director of human spaceflight. There's always, it must go right, every mission, no matter what you're launching. But you put people on, it's, it's this different have-to-go-right feeling. Before Inspiration4 flies, there's another kind of preparation the crew has to complete. They have to prepare their families for the possibility, however slight, that the worst could happen. You'll hear from the crew in their own words about how they're preparing their loved ones for their mission. And I'll take you to one of their last training events in Bozeman, Montana, where the crew and their families celebrated the upcoming launch and confronted the reality of its approach. I'm Miriam Kramer. From Axios, this is How It Happened, The Next Astronauts. Part four, risk. No matter who you are, if you fly to space, you're leaving people you love and care for behind. But for parents of young children, the challenge of preparing loved ones before a mission is particularly profound. I talked with my husband, Ryan, I call him Rye, about what it would have been like if he was a crew member on Inspiration4. He entered that same raffle Chris won. I'm really trying to sit with the idea of leaving our kid and trying to really ask myself if I could do that. We were chatting about the mission one night after putting our toddler to bed. Over the months, as I spoke to Chris and Jared, who are both fathers of young kids, I kept thinking about what it would have meant for our family if Rye had won the contest. I take being a father really seriously. When my kids look back on their dad's life, does it matter more to them that I made a decision to stay or is it inspiring that, you know, that they have a family member that goes into space? I mean, it's all, 
it's all totally just fantasy because at the end of the day, I didn't win. And to be honest, I'm glad I don't have to make it. I mean, I'm, our life is simpler. I empathize with Chris and his wife, Erin. In fact, I brought that up with both of them. So my husband uh, entered the lottery as well. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah. so, did your husband actually tell you he entered the lottery? Because <laughs> did. mine didn't. Yours did not. If you know Chris, you know what a space nerd he is. So if there's a contest to go into outer space, yeah, he's going to sign up for it. <laughs> did we think he would win? Absolutely not. And he didn't, right? He would have been your seat if he had been chosen, basically. Yeah, imagine he sneaks around the corner and says, hey, you know that competition I entered during, during the Super Bowl? Well, looks like <laughs> I won. This wasn't a hypothetical for Chris. It's actually what happened after the Zoom call ended when he found out he won the seat. He and his wife, Erin, have two young daughters. I just walked up the stairs slowly to where my wife and daughters were, and I think my eyes were as big as saucers. And so I peeked my head in the door and stepped in and said, hey, um, so um, I think I'm going to ride a rocket. And my oldest daughter says, what, Dad? Really? That's cool. And my wife says, what? And then you, you can start to see that, okay, we need to go have another conversation because there's a lot of emotions behind those eyes. And so I just paused for a moment because my girls were there too. I don't want them to feel upset about anything that we're going through because if mom's upset, they get nervous and anxious, right? So I just looked at her and I told her, I see you. And we went off and had a conversation. They plop the girls in front of screens and go into their walk-in closet to have the first of what will be many serious conversations about what it would mean, what it will mean for Chris to go to space. A lot of it, you know, we want to keep more so private because it's a lot of those things come up that really drive a lot of deep emotions. And some of those things we're probably still working through because, you know, we're not really going to be able to fully celebrate all this together until splashdown. And that's when, you know, that cathartic release of, okay, we made it through all that, he's back, and then my wife and I can celebrate together. Challenger was Chris's first space memory, but he went on to make a lot more. He launched model rockets and was a counselor at space camp, and he ultimately joined the Air Force. Chris was stationed in Montana. That's where he first met Aaron at a barbecue. I rolled up and with some of my friends, and uh, you know the way she talks about it, I'm wearing one of my old space camp T-shirts tucked into my faded tapered jeans, as she says. And you know I had the best of fashion sense at the time, I'm sure. And uh, the first thing out of my mouth when I'm introducing myself or saying hi to you, hey, did you guys, did you guys see the space shuttle launch today? Talk about the worst pickup lines of all time. <laughs> okay, nerd alert, here he is. But I mean, look at me, what a sucker, it worked, right? <laughs> the, whatever, we, we got to know each other more later. Chris was deployed to Iraq early in their relationship. The way we stayed in contact was through, um, you know, I would write letter after letter, um, pen and paper, because that I had time. And, uh, you know, when you're over there late at night in, in your tent in Iraq, then what else are you going to do but stay out of trouble? And so I was writing letters, and uh, that meant a lot to her. And uh, 
it was, I look back on some of them now, we've got some saved and I, uh, it's like, man, I, that was pretty smooth back then. I'm a pretty good, eloquent writer, so I need to remember some of those skills during this mission. And Chris is drawing on what he experienced during his service, and he's writing letters for his family. It's part of grappling with the risk of this mission. But some are only meant to be read in a worst-case scenario. No one wants to write these kinds of letters or think about it, but it's like things you write to not just to my wife, but to my girls, you know, in case something does go wrong, that they should never, ever see, they should never, ever read, but I write them and I hand them to a trusted individual in, in the one severe bad day case. Some, though, are for the best case scenario. The one I'm looking forward to writing the most is the one that I write while I'm on, on orbit. That's the one I expect to really kind of bring that connection uh, of taking her up there with me up in space. Chris isn't the only father of young kids flying aboard this mission. After the break, Jared's wife and kids prepare for his mission and the final training event he planned for the cruise families. We're back. Jared has two daughters. They're old enough to start asking questions about what he's doing. But they aren't all tough questions. It's all Baby Yoda, seriously. I'm like, if you're going to keep talking about Baby Yoda, then you have to watch Star Wars. So, like, if you keep this up, we're going to start watching some movies. Baby Yoda, as I'm sure you know, is a much-memed, adorable character from Star Wars. His daughters are obsessed. It's just this one character. What are they I mean, Are they saying? Like, are you bringing a baby Yoda with you? Or are you, you? going like, to see one? Or is he going to be up there? Are you going to bring one back? So Jared would, like, probably joke around that like, they only see, you know, the funny sides of things like baby Yoda and Star Wars. Monica, Jared's wife. They've been together since they were teenagers. They understand a lot more than what they're telling him. And they know that he's away a lot now training. So it's hard. Like, I try to tell him, like, you know, Daddy's trying to train because he wants to be safe, and and they get it. She understands more than anyone how important this mission is to Jared, but also how delicate these conversations with their daughters can be. I was actually in the car maybe a few weeks ago with both my girls, and I asked my seven-year-old, I asked her, do you know what Daddy's doing? Yeah, he's going up to space. I'm like, what is he doing? Like, do you think, like there's something more to this and she she actually did say she's like he's he's helping kids and like helping other people monica is used to jared taking on risk he actually wrote a worst case scenario letter 7 years ago before flying a single seat plane on a trip to circumnavigate the globe as another high profile fundraiser that was like you're, there's you either make it or you don't like there's no even if you eject you're going to die and it was december in the north atlantic but this mission has been uniquely hard to confront. You know what it's like to ride in an airplane. So, like, if he's riding in a, in a fighter jet, you know he's going faster, but you know that feeling. Whereas, like, with, with space, it's a different fear because you just don't know what, like, what is he supposed to control inside of it? What if something drops? Like, the risk is just, it's, we just don't understand it, I guess. Yeah. But, like, I'm nervous. Um, I try to... I try to be supportive and, like, show that I'm excited for him. This is amazing for him. Like, he's wanted to do this for so long. But, like, for me, like, as 
his partner, like his wife, right? Like it just, it's a different sense. There is fear. I know he trusts SpaceX and like he spends more time with them. So he knows like how comfortable he is. But for me, it's like totally different. When I spoke to Jared this summer, he was taking his own approach to writing contingency letters this time around. I know I do have in my schedule this kind of um, weekend uh, escape to a little bit later in the summer where I'm planning to make sure all those kind of final thoughts are in order. So it's scheduled. He had to literally schedule writing these letters because Jared's a busy guy. He's commanding this mission and running a company and zigzagging across the country to train. I haven't given enough thought yet to what will be in there. But, you know, there's probably going to be like two letters. There's one that everything, you know, is fine. We're on orbit and just like expressing, like, just let her know, like, everything's fine. and Appreciate all the support to make this moment happen and everything. And then there's the one that, you, you know, you hope that she doesn't have to open. I still got to give some, give some thought to it. I was in Bozeman, Montana in early August to watch the crew fly in fighter jets, a favorite pastime of Jared's. It's an Alaska Airlines plane that's having to wait for the inspiration for a crew to take flight. Most of the weekend took place in an airplane hangar at the Bozeman Airport, a flat expanse framed by mountains. It was also one of the last moments for the crew's families to get together before launch. It's like sunset. It's gorgeous. The crew just loaded into fighter jets. Jared and Cyan are in one. Chris is being flown in another. Haley is being flown in a different one. In total, it's uh, five planes. There was a band. Yes, that's Rocket Man playing. It's a little on the nose, but the whole thing was a little on the nose. There was a production crew there making a documentary about the mission. And there was a photographer shooting glossy photos of the four crew members for Time magazine. If I had watched these four ordinary people become astronauts at SpaceX, on the tarmac in Bozeman, I felt like I was watching ordinary people become celebrities. They were suited up in flight suits, strutting down the runway, thronged by cameras and supporters. Here, here we go. Look here, look at the, look at the camera! Throw it out there, girl! But out of frame, the emotional core of the weekend was family. And watching the crew's families grapple with what was ahead for their loved ones. Take that one and put it in at a 45 degree angle. Push kind of hard. And there you go, now you're clipping into there. Now you have your leg straps. As Chris Zimbrowski was being strapped into a fighter jet. I had a chance to talk to his wife, Erin, on the tarmac about Inspiration4. How are you feeling? Are you feeling, like, nervous at all or just excited? Like, what emotion is, is the main one for you these days? All of it. Yeah. And it changes minute by minute and day by day, depending on where we are and what we're doing. And I think I feel all of it. I feel excited, proud. Nervous, anxious, celebratory. I think that's normal when that's your partner. And that's, you know, my husband and the father to our children. And I need him back safe and sound, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think I'll really start celebrating when he's back on the ground. All right, I'm going to say a little something to him here. 
camera's good. Hey, Simbro. Yo. Yeah, fine. Oh, yeah. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be full it of is. I love you. Love you, too. All right, have fun. start getting out of the way in I think case we they should. start I turning on the, the planes. Yeah, let's not stand here. Yeah. <laughs> Watching them transform into astronauts and celebrities, I wondered how going to space would change the inspiration for crew. Jared compared it to fatherhood. I don't, I, I don't know if it will in the same way that... But you know what else? I got this wrong about having a, a kid, too. And everybody's like, the moment you see the baby and it's born, like, your life is forever changed and your mindset's totally different. And I was like, I'm still going to be me. And uh, no, like, you're, like, everything changes. And you're like, holy shit. Cyan was pensive. I keep thinking about that view back on Earth and how do I, I uh, capture the moment of looking out the cupola and uh, as a geoscientist, as an artist, a uh, poet, and all I know is that I will be changed. I just can't describe at this moment what that means. Cyan isn't planning to write a letter to her family or friends. She's doing something else. I came to the conclusion that the way I could best express myself was through a series of poems. And I think that that's probably the best thing for me to leave behind uh, if something were to happen. And she read me a draft. It's called Reflections in the Dragon's Eye. I hear your words, but they are not reality. Everything has yes, I surrender to the light, screaming ancestral oaths, free at last, free at last. Death of perception with big bang clarity. Shackled existence across the expanse weeps. I see the dragon's eye through smoke and smoldering ash, taunting possibilities. Don't look away. It's all I've ever wanted. Don't look away. Is it real? We'll be back in a few weeks with our season finale. The Inspiration4 mission is currently scheduled for launch from Cape Canaveral, Florida on September 15th, with Splashdown scheduled for three days later. We'll see you on the other side. The Next Astronauts is reported and produced by Amy Padula, Naomi Shaven, Alice Wilder, and me. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer. Mixing, sound design, and music supervision by Alex Sugiera. Original music by Michael Hampf. Fact-checking and research by Jacob Knudsen. Allison Snyder is a managing editor and my editor at Axios. And Sarah Kehelani-Gu is our executive editor. Special thanks to Axios co-founders, Mike Allen, Jim Vandehei, and Roy Schwartz. And a very special thanks to my husband, Ryan, for not only being in this episode, but also doing the vast majority of childcare while we finished this podcast. I'm Miriam Kramer. Thanks for listening.